This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where we are still all recovering from what was an absolutely hectic transfer deadline day for Everton, not just in terms of incoming and outgoing players, but with an incoming manager to discuss as well. I'm your host, Adam Jones, today joined by Phil Kirkbride, Chris Beasley and Gav Buckland, where we'll go over everything that happened to Everton yesterday in terms of managerial appointments, new players coming in, rumoured players who didn't come in. Uh, We've got some outgoing players to discuss as well and looking ahead to the future under a new manager. But, I mean, I suppose, Phil, we'll, we'll start on that front, Frank Lampard, uh, well, it was all expected, of course. Uh, we we had the confirmation that he'd agreed his deal on Sunday, but his fi- final appointment was finally uh, announced on Monday. What are your What are your thoughts on Frank as manager? Well, I was also th- I was thinking when is another Premier when is another Premier League club appointed a manager on deadline day? Has that ever happened before? It's got to be rare, hasn't it? I mean, it's either never happened before, as you say, a a rarity. I mean, just added to the the chaos, didn't it? I mean, organised chaos, I hasten to add, you know, in in all fairness. But it was, uh, yeah, it it just added a layer of of frenzy, didn't it? But you say, obviously, we knew it was Frank on Sunday. um, And obviously, Frank was, um, you know, as part of those discussions over the weekend, you know, Friday night into Saturday was about players and, and of the players that the club felt were achievable, uh, and attainable in the hours and days that remained of the window. Um, he obviously he plumped for Donny van der Beek and, of course, Deli Alley. In terms of Frank as, as an appointment, um, I think, look, before we started recording this, and I'm sure I've said it before, any manager comes with a risk. Uh, Lampard's no different. Um, relatively young in experienced terms of management, but has gone and managed Chelsea. Um, so that will be, however, you know, however it ended, valuable experience. Um but on the flip side, and I've said and I've written, you know, in the last couple of weeks in relation to him and Wayne Rooney being uh, being on the shortlist, um, I feel that it's a it's a voice from a different generation, a more um, a, a figure that many of the of the modern players, if you like, the, the generation of players at Everton will hopefully listen to more because I think when the chips have been down and things have been getting tough under a succession of managers. The players clearly have not been responding to what that person has said. So I'm hopeful that Frank, as a um, with a profile and, and, and a figure that will be um, better known, and I, I don't want to say more respected because that feels like it's unfair, but that could be the truth. He may be he may instantly hold more respect with certain members of the squad because of what he's done in his playing career and how recent that's been. So I'm hopeful, uh, very hopeful that, that that is going to be a big thing. And look, Frank comes with fresh ideas. You know, he's obviously not a coach without ability and talent. Of course, as we said, didn't work out with Chelsea in the end. But, you know, he has got ability and and, and I suppose he's got a point to prove, hasn't he, as well? So, um, hopeful that this, you know, this will be something that revives our season. We need it to be, of course. And, um, yeah, good luck to him because, um, you know, forgetting Saturday, a week today is one hell of a game, isn't it? So, uh, what a way to start. Mm. Bees, obviously, we had... After Lampard's appointment, we had the uh, YouTube video. His first interview was released around around ten minutes or so. And you know, from me watching it personally, I thought he came across as really, really well. He's quite personable, isn't he? He addressed the fans really well. I think throughout that sort of ten minute video. I mean, what what did you make of it? Did you think he's he's done enough to win over any sort of doubters that he might have had? Yeah, I think he he, he is the the unity candidate. He, he's the person, isn't he? Who most Evertonians could get behind, regardless of who, who they backed in the in the managerial um, search. You know, myself, I've you know been very vocal that I felt again with came with a big risk that Wayne Rooney would have been the candidate I'd gone for. But he's the one I think is most palatable. You've got to remember that when this search started, the first name we heard was Roberto Martinez, um, bizarrely, you know, the man who Farhad Mashiri had um, got rid of just weeks into his tenure. And uh, to, it, it beggared belief that, uh, you know, after Rafa Benitez, the most the most controversial appointment in this city's football and history, that you could have somebody who was equally divisive coming in um, to the club. So had all of that and what came with that. And then, 
you know, the left field um, Vita Pereira, the, you know, I don't mean this in a nasty way, but, you know, the bad penny that keeps coming back, unfortunately, for Everton managerial candidacies, given that there have been so many of them, lamentably, in recent years. And on the thoughts of Pereira coming in, because let's remember, he for a time, he seemed to be, you know, the, the front runner and various reports were saying that he was very much in the mix. And then people were concerned about his CV or lack of experience in England. And then obviously the, what I described as the, the car crash television appearance with his, his, his phone call to Sky Sports. So considering he had all of that to contend with, and even within the last week, for it to end up being Lampard, he is somebody who people can relate to. Um, he's not just inoffensive, isn't he? He's a, he's a hugely successful um, player and a great rival of Everton's over the years. I mean, unfortunately, Everton weren't quite good enough to match him. I think closest they got was obviously that cup final where he scored the winner against Everton. But yeah, um, he's, he's very respected and he comes in with a, a huge reputation. But most, I think, which is most important at this stage, let's remember Everton are in trouble at the moment. They need somebody everybody can get behind and can support. And I think he, he, do, he does tick those boxes. Hmm. Well, I think Bees is quite right there, Gav, isn't he? You know, describing Lampard as the unity candidate there. Unity was a word that came up in Farhad Mashiri's latest communication, which came up uh, yesterday evening as well, calling for unity, admitting that he'd been impatient in the past as well. I mean, did you read that? What did what did you what did you make of it? Uh, overall, mm. well, I think he, first of all, the glad he uh, spoke to official channels. <laughs> um, <laughs> once he's done that, I don't really care what he says. To be honest with you, <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think. I think without necessarily addressing the the sort of tumultuous scenes we've seen over the last fortnight, he sort of you know implied that actually everybody needs to pull together, regardless about what sort of camp you're in at the moment. And I, I think that's the sort of leadership and communication we've needed. Not that we still, you know, we still need. Yeah, I, I get that that we still need destruction, and then we've got this strategic review. I think. Still to uh, still to come, which is the source of Sue Gray, isn't it? Report of football, I really <laughs> suppose. Um, but no, seriously, um, yeah, yeah. Farhad, it's quite an interesting little chat, wasn't it? Really, some nuggets around Tim Cale's role in the mm. appointment yeah. advisor, that type of thing. Um, I think obviously the process once we got down to the last three was a lot more rigorous and organised, perhaps than what people were expecting, um, and what maybe what we, more than what we've seen in the past. Um, yeah, so it was. Um, I think it was pretty much what you would expect them to say, and I'm just glad he said it through the club club channels. Ad, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and is it is impatient one was quite a, an interesting point, wasn't it? Really, because. When he came, he obviously spoke spoke about this window of opportunity mm. in 2016. And as it happens, I'm, I'm still, I think I've got a fallout from that within the club. We're, we're still suffering from that mindset, aren't we? That we've only got a very small window of opportunity. Let's throw a load of cash at it uh, mm. to succeed in that opportunity. And we didn't do it in a in the right, right and structured way. And as I say, financially and reputationally, we're still suffering the damage of that army. Mm. So um, I was, it was a, he's probably just indirectly, he's probably saying, uh, I think, yeah, we have messed up. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I've just got to call that impatience. Mm. Fair enough. I think, I think if that's what he says, I think that's fair. He, he sort of implied that, hasn't he? That. Mm. Uh, that's what that's what I took from that that phrase. It was a, I think it was a little bit more than just you know, we had a fired a couple of managers in the past mm. quite swiftly. I think the, there's a wider issue around how he's approached. Or you could look at it whether he meant it like that, but I, there's a, it's a wider issue on how he's approached his role as being, you know, the boss really. And uh, I'm just wondering whether if you give him his time again, it's a good question to ask him, isn't it? If I had to take you back to 2016, what would you do 
than no. doing not what you know now. And I think Gav, you say Gav, things. You, what, what, Gav, what do you think though on that though? Because he's, he's acknowledged that he's been impatient, but Frank Lampard has, has only been given a two and a half year deal. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the other thing as well is that we've been impressed by Frank's vision of the club. Well, actually, if you have a strategic review, that says, well, hang on a minute, this is our vision of the club, Frank. You've got to fit in with it. Is that the, I know there's middle ground there, and I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, we need to get that right. Um, I think there's a financial side to that, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I think there is. Yeah, I yeah. think it's as simple as that. I don't think the saying, "Listen, Frank, we've got no confidence in you," and you know. You're not just at like a year longer than Sam Allardyce, <laughs> you know. You know, you, you, you're a bit longer, but in the current um, current scheme of things, it's 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 what we can afford. And um, but if you do it, you do a good job. We'll obviously, um, you know, extend it. And Frank's had a few knockbacks, hasn't he? Really. So, I'd argue, there's an argument out there, Phil, that actually he needs us more than what we need him. Or just as much so, um, so that that contract probably reflects that. Yeah, but going back to your question, Nadia, I thought Farhad mm. spoke what you would expect him to speak, but I think there was scope within there to make a lot more of what he what he said. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I suppose though, while we're in the midst of a strategic review, and I'll bring this to you, Phil. I mean, we've mentioned there that little snippet at the end so as Tim Cale getting involved in in the uh, the managerial interview sort of process in an advisory role towards Farhad Mashiri. You know, as, as we say, the club's in the middle of a strategic review at the minute. Is that is that something that can be read into a little bit more that, you know, Tim Cale's obviously got some sort of influence there, hasn't he? Well, clearly a significant influence, the fact that Farhad was... was um, minded enough to to mention him uh, in very glowing terms about how he's personally advised him. Um, yeah, conflicting information about whether Tim's going to be given a role permanently at the club. Of course, he has got a job, hasn't he, with um, with Upen and, and the Aspire Academy in, in Doha and things. Not saying that he wouldn't, of course, love to come back to Goodison if, if offered something. But um, yeah, um, you know, you are led to believe just basically on, on what Farhad was saying that, that, that there is looking to be like a future for Tim um, at the club, whether or not that is a, some sort of permanent position or whether he continues to be an advisor to Farhad. But as we say, Farhad felt uh, felt inclined to mention him and he wouldn't have done so if he didn't feel as though he'd done a really good job. And, uh, and we saw the images, didn't we, of Cahill in London on Friday uh, as those final round of interviews were, were, were being... Uh, been undertaken so interesting you know and, and the club although they haven't said anything officially about the strategic review in terms of its its um its essence or what what's involved or indeed when we're likely to have the conclusions they have made it clear that they want an everton dna as they call it running through the club now having tim in some sort of permanent semi-permanent advisory role um would make a lot of sense um but as I said, a bit of conflicting information we're getting about what that will be and if and if it will materialise into uh, anything more than than has been uh, seen. Mm. Would be very interesting to see that. I mean, bees will bring it back to Lampard for a quick minute. Obviously, we've we've mentioned the fact that Lampard doesn't really have a lot of Premier League managerial experience. But do you think that maybe accentuates the the kind of importance of his coaching staff that he's got around him? He's got. Joe Edwards, Paul Clements and Chris Jones have come over and joined him. Obviously, he's got experience of working with them at Chelsea. Duncan Ferguson stayed on and Alan Kelly stayed on, who've got experience of working with this Everton squad as well. It's not just going to be Lampard over the next few weeks that's going to be key. It's going to be them as a group, really, isn't it? Yeah, I do think um, it's important. It's, it's staff that it's interesting, obviously, in the past, Jody Morris worked with him um, at both um, Derby County and uh, Chelsea, and that's not a partnership that's being brought back now. They've they've gone their separate ways, I believe, for, certainly for now. They've not ruled it out in the future, but it hasn't happened this time. So, yeah, it's interesting. And again, interesting that, for now at least, um, Duncan Ferguson is uh, is part of that um, staff. Um, I, I don't know, Duncan's being linked, isn't he, to positions outside the club. It would be mm-hmm. telling, really. See, 
if at this stage now he, he does go out and um, show himself elsewhere, I mean, he's there at the moment. I, I don't know. I can't speak for Duncan, whether in his heart of hearts, if he thinks he is going to be part of this long term or whether he might go out elsewhere now, given that he said in his press conference before the Aston Villa game, he admitted he wasn't uh, experienced enough to be considered for the Everton job on a long-term basis. Um, well, you know, 50 years of age now, and perhaps he does need to consider senior posts elsewhere. So that's interesting. But, you know, he is part of the staff there. And then, like we said, Lampard has brought in um, his own people, possibly some more on the way. But, yeah, it's, it, the people um, who he's worked with before and um, people like um, Clement, who was on the, the staff when he was a player at, at Chelsea. So, yeah, it... it I see that Frank is very much like a lot of these managers. He's the front of house. He's he's the name. He's the, the charisma and um, very personable approach that we've, we've spoken about. But yeah, there's a certainly you know a, a, a large group of um, people working behind him there who sort of give you the uh, the, the full picture and um, uh, the sort of people he depends upon. Mm. I think Gav Duncan's an interesting point to make, isn't he? Because obviously he was one of these last three candidates for the role alongside. Frank Lampard and Vitor Pereira. And as Bees quite rightly says there, you know, he did admit in his pre-Aston Villa press conference that he didn't feel he was experienced. It was kind of the same message that he was given before Carlo Ancelotti was appointed, <laughs> isn't it? And that was, yeah, that was yeah, you know, yeah. over two years ago at this point. So he stayed, stayed two years at Everton, worked under Ancelotti and Benitez, and he still doesn't think he's experienced enough. Now I know, obviously, Everton means a lot to him, but... It, it does seem like it's got to a point now where if he if he does have ambitions to be Everton manager in the future, he does need to consider leaving the club at this point and finding himself a permanent role somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the counter to that is um, look at Paul Clement and the people he's coached and he's had three management jobs. Is it two or three? Is it? He's failed, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. I think he's been sacked a few times. You know, it's the old adage, isn't it, that... Um, all managers can coach, but not all coaches can manage. And he might be looking at Paul Clements and thinking, mm. you know, he's got a great reputation as a coach. So that will always get him a job as a coach. But actually, if I went to a manager now and failed, bought me options, you know. So it's a reminder to him of the, the cutthroat world of management and especially if you're stepping up from a coach, coaching role. So um, it'd be interesting to hear his thoughts on that. Yeah. I don't know. How long has he been at Everton for now? Eight, nine years? Is it something like that? Yeah, it's got to be, yeah, hasn't it? I'm yeah. not sure what he's got to learn in the next two years that he's not learned already. I find there's... I mean, that's cards on the table. I'm not exactly a member of Duncan Ferguson fan club, but um, I find that strange, really, to be honest with you. Um, to find that a strange statement that after eight, nine years, he didn't think he knew enough about management. Um, he needs to uh, probably he needs he needs to move away, doesn't he? Really, and get get a management job, and, and it'd be great if he does well. Um, but I'm just his roots with Everton, Andy. I would imagine mm. that they're quite difficult to break for him. But at the same time, the club shouldn't indulge him, um, and Frank Lampard shouldn't yeah, indulge him either. You know, mm. so because um, he'd be back down packing order now, only in the coaching. Um, Coaching list. If Frank's brought mm. his own people in, what's yeah. Duncan's role compared to you know quite high profile under Carlo and obviously Benitez? What I don't know. It's I just find that I just find some of his mutterings are on it strange, really. Um, and he, I, I, I don't want to sort of if you're another club looking at him, you say, "Would I want him?" Somebody's a manager so indecisive about wanting to be a manager. Mm. Yeah, you want you want, you want somebody to show clear, ruthless thinking, wouldn't you? Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah, and that, that that's people notice that. You know, at least for like Lampard, from a Rooney, from a young age, said this. What we could, I know we've had a few doors open for him and stuff like that. But Duncan is not doing his future management jobs, prospects, uh, any favors by sort of appearing to be so indecisive about wanting to be manager. You know. You know, because it shows a lack of confidence, doesn't it? Mm. Um, strangely enough, do you think? I just wonder with Dun- I just wonder with Duncan that um, it feels for me that Duncan ultimately 
not, yeah, ultimately probably only wants the Everton manager's job and would not seek or um, covet a, another top-level job. It just feels like his destiny, he maybe feels, is to manage Everton and that would be his focus. But you're right, I think, I think now has come a point where he needs to leave if he's going to stand a chance. He's been overlooked twice, um, you know, interviewed twice, not got it. So the message is clear. And him saying he's not experienced enough, I think maybe he means that you don't actually understand the nitty-gritty, the nuts and bolts of being the manager, the man who comes out week after week and whose head's on the chopping block until you've actually taken charge fully. And not just for three or four games. You've got to be the man. You've got to take the flak. You've got to take all the pressure. And you won't learn about being a manager until that point. I just wonder... Our information earlier in the week was, and you know, this was not verified, so we're taking this with a pinch of salt, but a few other people had said similar to me. The feeling was Lampard was prepared to let Duncan go. But for whatever reason, they've come to an agreement that he stays. I wonder, and again, just thinking out loud, this is not backed up by any information at this point. I just wonder whether the club have said, look, we don't want to get rid of Duncan. He's a hero. He's done He's done good things for this football club. He stepped in in our hour of need. We don't want to get rid of him. If he wants to leave, that's up to him. He, Frank Lampard probably also, or maybe also, was still, look, it's not a great footing to get off getting rid of Duncan. It, we're told that many of the players wanted Duncan to get the job until the end of the season, rightly or wrongly. That's another reason to keep him on. And I wonder, again, thinking out loud, whether it's almost like a transition. I wonder whether come the end of the season, Duncan will go. He will find a job or he'll make the decision that he will leave the club to go and find somewhere, get himself a managerial job and then go away and prove to the football club that he can return one day as he believes he is capable of and, and perhaps is his destiny and become manager. It just it, it just feels to me like this is... I would be surprised if he's still at the football club next season. And I don't think that's because I don't, and that's because I don't want him or think that he's not of value. But I just think everybody would come to the same decision. Um, you know, as you said, Gav, and Duncan alluded to before the Villa game, he, he he was quite honest when we were speaking to him about his role under different managers hasn't always been as close as it was with Carlo. He wasn't as involved under different managers, and of course, you know, there's that. Oh, you only put the combs out, blah blah blah. He didn't say that but he alluded to his role with some managers was quite watered down. So you look at the number of player, um, number of people that Lampard's brought in. We were also hearing before the appointment, and we've heard again today, he's talking about bringing Ashley Cole in. As you say, pecking order. Duncan is is there as a coach, but, you know, largely in, largely in name only. You know, what realistically is his influence now? And... Somebody said to me last night, somebody very experienced football figure, don't know who know Duncan, but they've just said, and they've been a manager and they've been around football, and they said, you know, Frank probably, if that's true, wanted, didn't want Duncan around because you've always got the Duncan sort of in the background, almost not waiting for the job because I'm not saying he would be um, in any way like, um, briefing against Lampard, far from it, but he's in the background and you know that he's taken over. You know that the supporters absolutely idolise him. And if things start to go wobbly, because Frank's come into a very, very difficult situation, there will be, should have given it to Dunk, should have given it to Dunk. And Lampard probably understandably wanted to avoid that. Now, and also this, this, this person said to me last night, he said, given all of that, when they have team meetings, staff meetings, there's, just, there's a feeling that Lampard could theoretically just hold back some things because he may, you know, he may only have the confidence because he doesn't know Duncan that well of his inner circle, and that's the people he's brought, not people he's inherited. Now that's just human nature, isn't it? And again, we're just I'm just thinking out loud, but I just think they all feel like quite legitimate, um, legitimate points. Mm. Yeah, I think I think there's a precedent that I think. When Roy Hodgson went to Liverpool, wasn't that least in the background? I think. And I think he always felt that there was, you know, I mean, Roy didn't do enough anyway, but it is dangerous when you've got like a, a fan's favourite in the background, mm. I think, as a manager. 
Um, yeah, I, I think that I think it's perfectly valid points there, Phil. I think it may be the summer you see. see yeah. Now. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see what happens between now and the summer in terms of Duncan Ferguson. But bees, it was transfer deadline day. Let's yeah. talk about some transfers, shall we? Donny van der Beek became Everton's fourth arrival of the winter window. Uh, mm -hmm. Hasn't really cut it at Manchester United, I think it's fair to say, over the course of his, I think, what is it, season and a half that he's yeah. he's been there since his move from Ajax. I mean, on the face of things, what 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 do you think about Donny's move to Everton? Do you think he's he's somebody that Everton have been missing? Again, it's um, it is a big risk, but at least you know it's it's a loan move, isn't it? If it was a permanent transfer, I'd have quite a few reservations. Certainly, I know you can't sort of brand every Dutchman and stick them in one pot, but you know after what happened with Dav um, Davy Klassen, you know there's got to be similarities. So I would be concerned if a big fee had been involved. But the fact that it is a loan deal, and I'm, from what I was um, told at the weekend, you know there's still a lot of faith in him at. Manchester United, they don't want to give up on him just yet. Hence, there's no sort of um, obligation to buy there or close to, to make that a permanent deal. Um, yeah, they desperately needed bodies in, in midfield. And he, you know, he, he's somebody that Frank Lampard, I believe, really pushed from from the very start, from even before he was officially uh, announced, from the moment that um, he was offered the job. Um, I understood that Frank had uh, really said he, he wanted Donny, and um, that's got to be good for. Van der Beek's um, sort of confidence and the way he feels about coming in because he's, you know, he's had a tough time at Manchester United, came with a stellar reputation, had been a real sort of big game performer for Ajax on the Champions League scene and was great things were expecting from him. Manchester United came for a big fee and, like I said, big reputation and it just hasn't happened for him. Um, again, the same as a manager, he could go one or two ways, couldn't it? He, he could prove to be a, an inspiration, it could be a revelation at Everton and this is the move that he makes or maybe just continues to struggle in the Premier League. One thing that I think he will get is more opportunities, won't he? I mean, he's not going to have the same sort of competition for places that he faced at Manchester United and Everton desperately need bodies in there, especially with Abdelay Decore out now for a, a month. Obviously, Fabian Delph again injured. Tom Davis is out at the moment. And they just haven't had the balance a lot of the season anyway in the middle of the park. So, yeah, hopefully there'll be opportunities for him and, it, and it's, up for him, uh, it's up to him to take them now. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Speak about opportunities, though, and I was thinking about this yesterday. Can you play from the starting games Van der Beek and Deli Alley? Because my concern is we've had the summer of number 10s. This is the winter of number 10s. Sure. Mm -hmm. And, and look, and I appreciate that Deli Ali has come permanently, so would obviously have preference. But surely, and I'm, look, I'm interested to know what you guys think and people listening to the pod think. When we were looking for midfield reinforcements, I was thinking we need somebody with legs. We need probably more defensive. Yes, we are absolutely shorn of confidence. But if we're going to go and get two midfielders, let's get a balance if we can. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it's not easy and it's not that straightforward and I'm simplifying a very complicated process in a very short time frame. But my concern is that, are you getting both in the team? What formation is Frank playing that gets them both in? And if you're playing somebody behind, if you're playing, you know, if you're playing somebody behind a front two or whatever, Damari Gray might be going, hang on, Frank, I've been, I've been the best player in this team for months, you know, and I don't know, it just strikes me as, you know, Lampard got a very good reason to have, have said yes to these players and, and, Look, who am I to, to say, you know, question anything tactically before we started? But I can see the merits individually of both players, but I'm just thinking, where do you where do they both fit in? But mm. we'll see. Well, this is something that I tweeted out myself yesterday. I said, you know, we've now got Alan, Decore, Deli Ali, and Donny van der Beek, who would, you know, realistically be wanting to start every game for Everton. And now, even if you were to play, as many fans do want to see, even if you were to play a four-three-three, I don't really see how all how a, 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 a trio of those fit into into that sort of formation. I suppose you'd have to play Alan as the sitting the sitting player. Maybe you could play Decore as the sitting player, but I think that really takes away from some of his qualities. Now, I had a couple of people suggest to me that Donny Van der Beek could play in this sort of sitting role. Apparently, Frank De Boer has said in the past that that could be. Uh, a role that Donny van der Beek could play. But again, I think that takes away some of his 
some of his best qualities. You know, the stuff that made him so good at Ajax were his playmaking qualities. Those has kind he, of late uh, runs. Yeah, has he got? Stuff. Has he got the physicality? And I mean this, you know, in, in the, with all respect, has he got the physicality to play as a holding midfielder in well, a team in a team that has shown itself not very good at keeping the ball? Look, hopefully he will improve that. Hopefully Ali will improve that. But I would be. I would have significant reservations about playing him at the bottom of, even if it's the bottom of a diamond. I'd, I'd play him maybe on the side of a diamond or whatever, but I don't know. I just look. It's availability, isn't it? And it's not perfect. Yeah. It's not a. It's, it's not a science in that respect. And they were up against it, and you could argue it was all of of the club's making, of course. But they were up against it, and I appreciate that they did what they did, and hopefully it works out. But not sure we've quite strengthened as a, as we've needed we're conceding a lot of goals mm-hmm. you've got a defense that's probably lacking confidence where we've got confidence issues at the other end but we've got players coming back so that's less of a concern for me mm. and i just think you know is frank thinking we'll outscore our way you know we'll score our way out of problems great if we can but yeah, I think I think you, the foundations of getting yourself out of the mire is stop is stop conceding goals. Mm. I think Gava, like it's hard to judge, isn't it? The, these midfield options at the minute because we don't really know what system Frank Lampard is actually going to set up with uh, with Everton at the time being. And of course, you know we, we're going into a weekend game where both Donny Van der Beek and Deli Ali are cup tied anyway, so we won't we still yeah. won't be able to see how they fit into things until maybe the Newcastle game afterwards. But so. You know, I'm, I'm asking you to look a few weeks ahead into the future, I suppose, here, when both of them are fully fit and integrated into the squad, etc. But, you know, how do you see the, these two players fitting in? Can you see them fitting into the same team? Do you want to see them fitting into the same team? It's, it, it's my thoughts entirely. Um, it, it's made more complicated, isn't it, by the fact that we haven't got a natural defensive midfielder. Hmm. So you're relying, therefore, on your other two midfielders to be a bit more defensive than what they would normally normally expect to be, say if you're playing a midfield today. Not helped by the fact that our central defence could hardly be described as a robust, could it? You know? um, so it, it's a difficult one because um, somebody's going to be upset at the end of the day, aren't they really? I mean, I was thinking, I'm just, just trying to envisage a pitch here. I think if Frank, Frank has played 4-2-3-1, I think, could you play Alan van der Beek as the two, and then the three behind the strikers is Ali, the striker Ali Richarlison, Damari Gray, and Carvert Lewin up top. I mean, it's that's got a lot more creativity, hasn't it? And I mean, I suppose as Phil said it like previously, we've had a, a lot of issues in keeping yeah. hold of the ball over the course of the last couple of months. So. You'd hope that that side will be able to keep hold of the ball at least a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, defensively, maybe not the. I mean, it's, it's all like Frank de Boer saying that, like when you're playing for, for for Ajax and you, you know, you've got eighty percent of the ball in the Dutch league. Now, it's a bit like Gomez in it in Spain, where he's playing a different role than what he'd ever play in this country. Um, you know, and then he gets found out. You know, I think it. I wouldn't take too much from Zach's days, to be honest with you, because. I might be thinking aloud here. Is this is I'm not sure how many much of that Ajax team from about 2019 been mixed, hasn't it? When he moved on, um, so yeah, you could you could do that, but then you leave yourself with five offensive players on the pitch when we're in the middle of a a relegation battle. Does appear maybe not. Um, it does does quite seem quite right. The other thing as well is there is Alan's fitness is also. A big risk, well, the, the, the fitness of midfielders in general. Yeah, in general <laughs> Imagine if Alan, you know, does something in the next week, you know. Um, so I think there is ways around it, but it's not ideal. Mm. And Frank spoke about it yesterday about the priority being between now and the end of the season. I think I might just want to muddle through. I can see why we've got both, but whether I don't think they're necessarily a solution for this season. You suspect Ali maybe more next year, perhaps. Um, so but it's just be interesting to see what happens, really. Because the other thing as well is we play 4-3-3, like Frank does. You do land then only two full-backs to, to, to provide a lot of attack and threat. Mm-hmm. You know, like, say, Liverpool. 
Mm. And we've got like a left foot, you know, we've got a right foot centre half playing left back at the moment. Well, that's it. I think the problem is even when you play Mikhailenko as a left back, for example, I don't think his attacking qualities are as exactly his no. strong suit. I think it's his defensive aspects that are probably is the better side of his game at the minute. But he's obviously classic, yeah, classic thing is one manager's by becoming the the the, the 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 stuff that the subsequent manager doesn't doesn't want, doesn't it really? Mm. Um, but that's for another day. So yeah, so I don't think it's just about the midfield. It's, you have to factor in. You may you may play four three three, but then get you to two full backs to play deeper than what they would normally do in a four three three, and be more just, defensive. So there are ways around it, but it's not ideal. Um, but it'd be interesting to see what happens. And that, we've not even mentioned Anthony Gordon in that conversation, have we? Well, just a, just a point on 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 that as well, and I think it's worth saying, even though it probably contradicts everything I just said before. Maybe this is a good thing because ultimately it's it's strength. In depth and its options, so we. I might be going. How do you fit both Van der Beek and Ali into the same team? Maybe Lampard, Lampard's thinking, well, I won't. But if we're struggling and we're looking for a goal and we're playing Burnley in that rearranged game, and they're one up and they're playing basically ten behind the ball, I've got Van der Beek to come off the bench. Hopefully, yeah. when we're in control of possession, in the type of scenario he likes to pick the pass to help. You know, because how many times recently have we been at the game, Ads? And we've looked at the bench, or before we've looked at the team sheet halfway through a game, gone, who have we got on the bench to bring on? And then you look and you look back at each other and just, just a go. selection of defenders. Yeah, <laughs> and, you, and, you, yeah. and you just go, for crying out loud, this is a nightmare. So, look, maybe me saying, oh, I can't believe we've bought two tens is slightly unfair because we may not see Van der Beek and Ali in the same team from the start ever. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, Bees, we've talked a lot about Van der Beek. Let's. Let's switch on to Deli Ali. Of course, mm-hmm. he's he's another player who's struggled over the last couple of seasons. Of course, he was phenomenal for Tottenham a few years ago, but has kind of faded away in the last couple of years. But if anybody's going to be able to get a tune out of him, out of a player of his sort of quality, surely it's a it's a manager like Frank Lampard, isn't it? Yeah. In fact, so just before I go on to that, a, fi- a final um, thought on on Van der Baker. Um, I- Turned around a piece from some Dutch quotes this morning, uh, Yap Stam in the Dutch press, and he was saying um, he'd be best deployed as a box to box midfielder, so you can throw that one into the mix as well. But yeah, um, <laughs> all of them. Deli Ali, um, yeah, Deli, uh, Deli, yeah, uh, it's a lot of mutual appreciation between Deli Ali and uh, Frank Lampard. I know that Deli Ali, as, as a young as a young boy growing up, um, him and uh, Stephen Gerrard were his two idols and the sort of players he tried to model his, his own game on um, as a young player developing up there, at, sorry, down there at MK Dons before he went to Tottenham and it's something he's spoken about. And then Frank in the past has been um, sort of uh, very glowing in what he thought of De- Deli Ali as a player. Obviously, that was the time when Deli Ali was really at the top of his game and... Um, this really stellar performer. Um, I think the old uh, boffins over in Switzerland do sort of calculate those um, um, who's the most valuable players. Deli Ali is the world's uh, most valuable midfielder back in 2018. So it shows you how far his stock has fallen over the subsequent years. But yeah, um, um, Frank's spoken about uh, the way that um, Deli Ali would um, attack the ball and coming into the box late, and you know a lot of similarities in many ways to it to his own game. So yeah, like you say, if anybody is going to turn it around, because it's not like he has horrific injuries. I think that's been the problem. They've not really been able to sort of get to the bottom of why he's he's gone stale at Tottenham. Um, if anyone's going to cure that, you'd hope that Frank Lampard's the man to come in. And again, he's showing that belief in the player. And uh, sort of a, a kindred spirit in, in many ways, although obviously Lampard was a lot more consistent. I think we were looking at um, his statistics in, in recent days, um, something like uh, 12 seasons in England, he got double figures, including I think there were about four or five in, in, in a row there. Um, um, so, no, sorry, he get actually where he topped 20 goals in a season um, in the middle of his career. So, yeah, if anyone's going to get out of tune, like you say, out of Delhi Alley, it'll hopefully be Frank Lampard. And we've talked about. Everton's recruitment and how poor it's been and sort of wasteful of money in, in, in recent years. Um, this is starting from a free transfer. Um, you know, I, I grant it's not a regular free transfer. Daniel Levy doesn't give out um, gifts um, so readily as, as that. And it's very much based on instalments. But yeah, it, it could 
being a very astute piece of business. And as people have said, if Everton do end up paying top dollar for Deli Alley, it will be because he's done really well. So it's a win-win in that situation, hopefully. Mm. Uh, uh, sorry, but Bees makes the point that we were going back to the start when we were talking about Frank and I was saying about a different voice. You know, Ali has come in and said of, you know, and said in the past, Frank was one of my favourite players growing up. How many of the players said that about Benitez, Ancelotti, Koeman or Silva? None of them did. And yeah. I, I'm not being not being like flippant. Ancelotti made like a joke of it on a number of occasions, saying half the squad, probably more, most of the squad, had no idea he was a player. Yeah. And yeah. I think Koeman had said similar. They just, they're from a different generation. They They didn't grow up with their... Dads, granddads, uncles, whatever, slipping in a DVD of Barcelona '92 winning the European Cup, and likewise, you know, Ancelotti and the great AC Milan team. The half the players didn't know he played. So this yeah. is what I'm saying about. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed. The fact that they'll all know Lampard was a hell of a player means they'll listen when the chips are down and half time and we're at home to somebody like Burnley and we're getting beat on well not Burnley because we played them but you know what I mean and the proverbials hitting the fan they'll listen because he's because he'll go I've been there I know how to win Premier League games and they'll go yeah let's we best listen because he's done it the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo Gavin, I think Bees made an interesting point there about the sort of structure of the deal, didn't he? I mean, you know, there's a, a lot of talk about this yesterday, and I think he's he's quite right. If Everton do end up paying top dollar or like end yeah. up taking up all the incentives on Delhi Alley, it means that they've had a, a hell of a player on their hands for the over the course of his two and a half year contract. But, but I mean, this just seems it seems a lot more astute, just a lot more a lot more clever and savvy, doesn't it? Than than past deals that we've maybe seen Everton make in the past. Well, yeah, maybe maybe we Everton have been forced into this situation because of their financial fair play uh, sort of scenario. But it's still it's still fairly promising to see, you know, a, a more a more thought out structure of a deal uh, in terms of Everton, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about play I just got totally side left field. I'm talking about people who didn't realise they, they were players. It reminds us of the famous clip from the 2014 World Cup where Cannavaro and Vieira are with Martin O'Neill, with Agent Charles, and he, yeah. Charles <laughs> that, uh, that they didn't know that O'Neill being a player. But that's a case in point, Gav. But that is a case in yeah, point yeah, yeah, yeah. of a different generation just shifted along. Yeah. They had no idea that Martin O'Neill was a European Cup winner. I mean, yeah. it's absolutely insane. <laughs> said, was it? I've got two Champions League winners' medals. How many have you got? They just look at each other. <laughs> like, you know. um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, absolutely. I like the the shifting of the financial burden away from this year by the fact that it's ten million after twenty games. Uh, the count, the counter to the if we pay forty million for them, that's a good. Good sign. The counter that is, if he's been stuck on nineteen games for two years, <laughs> you know we've had, you know we've had a mayor, you know. But um, mm. yeah, yeah. I, 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 going back to Phil's points, I think you get the impression of fans of because yeah, we want them, but maybe the alley deals just sort of come up out of the ether with Frank coming in and thought, well, this is a good opportunity. This opportunity is too good to miss, especially if we constructed the deal right. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit smarter than what we would normally expect. Some of that's forced because of our um, circumstances. But yeah, I think uh, I love Dali Ali. I love that space team, and uh, I really hope he can get some of his magic back. I don't. I was when I was thinking about you said. I think Dali Ali was very much entwined with Pochettino, wasn't he? You know about like coaches you can associate with. Remember Connor Cody saying a few years ago in an interview that actually. A, a key skill for you as a player is to adapt to change. You know, like, so if you change manager, you, you can change yourself, you know, and how you work with that manager, you know, and even going down to academy level. And and you get the impression with Ali that he's totally with Pochettino, wasn't he? And as soon as Pochettino went, so he was had that an inability to sort of, you know, his, his confidence went and, you know, difficult to make connections and stuff. And um, you hope that, you know, I'm trying to think who came after Pochettino. Was it Mourinho, was it? Um, yeah, did you watch the All or Nothing? 
the Amazon. Because Mourinho was pretty brutal. I don't know yeah. whether you think Mourinho thought he was going to get a reaction out of Ali because he pulled him into his uh, his office early on and went, I've been told you're a beeping trainer, a not very good trainer on the beat up, you're lazy or something like that. You know, you don't you don't do it in training. And it just didn't have the impact. Yeah. It, I think he thought it was going to get the reaction and Ali was going to have, you know, I'll, I'll show you. But as you said, he doesn't have or didn't look like he had that rapport that he had with Pochettino. Yeah, and I think, I think he, that's he, a, yeah. I'm sorry for that. That is a that is a really good point made by kind of Cody that players have to change to adapt to their manager's style, and that's a key skill. And um, hopefully, Frank has watched that documentary as well, and will do the complete opposite. He's obviously more of an arm around the shoulder. Type of guy, which you never even they wouldn't think of Ali Ali like that, really, would it? He's an arm around the shoulder guy, isn't he? Really, and Frank, I think, maybe an ideal person to um, get get the best out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you suspect that maybe that deal may not have happened if Frank was not not here. Um, but yeah, I, I really like I like the way the deal is being structured. Out love Deli Ali as a player, and he can give us something a little bit that we just haven't got, have we? Behind the strikers, something they can just do a little bit. Do you remember the volley at Goodison? Four oh, or yeah, five, yeah, four or five six years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Heck of a goal. Um, I think I think Andre Gomez is still having a nightmare of trying to mark him in the six two, isn't he? Really, um, <laughs> just ran through him. Um, yeah, so yeah, really good deal. Like it, uh, low risk. Um, could be could be spectacular if both manager and player um, get it right. Mm. Obviously, Deli Alley formed part of a very busy transfer window for Everton. Six arrivals when you include the arrival of young Billy Krellin, uh, the under-23s goalkeeper. Uh, very, very late in the window, even later than Deli Alley. That one was announced. Uh, but Bees, that's six arrivals for Everton. Three outgoings, two on loan with uh, Lewis Warrington moving on deadline day and Ellis Sims moving a little bit uh, earlier last week and with, obviously, Luca Dean leaving on a permanent deal. Six six incomings, three outgoings. What does you what do you make of Everton's transfer window as a whole? It's not bad going, is it? If you've just got rid of your director of football and your manager mm-hmm. to, to do all yeah. to do all that. I mean who is? But maybe far hard was um, pulling all the strings behind the scenes. <laughs> um yeah, it is it's, it's unprecedented, isn't it? I don't think just Certainly at Everton, I don't know about um, other top flight clubs in, in, in sort of like, you know, the January transfer window era of the past couple of decades. Um, yeah, very busy. I mean, I suppose in depending on how things look going forward, people wonder why was Luca Dean allowed to leave the football club um, and then the manager to go just days later. That one has certainly raised a few eyebrows. But in terms of, of, of incomings and... and we yet to see the best of them. Obviously, the two deadline signings yesterday haven't played yet, and they we said we can't play at the weekend because the cup side. Mikalenko hasn't played at Goodison yet. Had those two away games, chasing in at times, but hopefully the best is yet to come for him. And Nathan Patterson, I know you're one of the few people seen him in action live for the under twenty three. So yeah, and and, and Anwar El Ghazi as well. So. Incredible, really, considering, like we say, that the, that the director of football gone. I mean, ironically, ironically, Marcel Brands, as I'm sure Phil point out, was somebody who um, identified a lot of these players. So um, it's ironic that he wasn't there by uh, by the time they came in. And obviously, Benitez as well brought a couple in, well, three in, and then got the chop. So yeah, it, it's incredible, really. I mean, Everton are in real mess at the at the moment in the way they've fallen down the league table, but. You know, they can't be sort of accused of not trying to do something about it and certainly reshaping their squad for the second half of the season. Mm. I suppose, Phil, in an ideal circumstance, you'd have maybe wanted to see, as you say, maybe a defensive midfielder brought in for a little bit more balance. Maybe you'd have liked to see a couple more outgoings as well. You know, there's some players who are probably going to be sticking around for the second half of the season who aren't really going to be getting the requisite game time on the pitch but i suppose when you look at the when you look at this this last month in context as b says it it, it is quite remarkable to see what everton have done really isn't it uh, it's been i don't, i think it'd be a month in terms of um incomings outgoings changes off field issues um potential managers going on sky sports news 
nothing, <laughs> nothing. I don't. I would be confident to say no. January will ever come as close for drama, and hmm. most of it not good. But as you say, hopefully a positive finish um, and something. Now we can draw a line under it and get the season sorted, salvage the season, and Lampard can 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 build up a head of steam and really build into next season and put his mark on the team and, and stuff. But, you know, we, we spoke about Marcel and Chris rightly says, you know, three of the five senior signings are probably, if you include Billy Krellin, I would imagine that was probably one Greta Steinson was involved in before he left. So if you say four of the six players that came into the football club had Marcel's fingerprints on it, you know, there's an irony to that. But something Marcel was trying to work towards was having to avo- was avoiding the need to do anything in January and in the summer only doing a handful of ins and a handful of outs, keeping it to a bare minimum. But again, just as an indication of where we are and, and the situation we're in, the summer will be busy, incomings, outgoings. And, and as B said, this January has been the busiest on record for the football club. So good in one respect, but I think if, you, if, you, if you're looking at a wider picture, indicative of problems that we've got. Mm. What do you make of it all, Gav? I mean, that's... It, it, Phil Kreit rightly says it's been something of a chaotic month, hasn't it? But I mean, I suppose we are coming out of the end of it with, I think there's, you know, I, I can sense anyway, there's a renewed sort of optimism, isn't there? And, a, and this sense of unity, I think that Fahad Mashiri talked about yesterday. It's something the fans are really starting to pick up on as well, isn't it? Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a future book project there, isn't it? January 2022. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get 90,000 words out of that, couldn't you, really? Uh, <laughs> process and stuff added on to it, yeah. yeah. I think we're in a far better place than what we were about five days ago, aren't we, really? Never mind mm-hmm. the beginning of the month. Um, I like the you know the, the call for unity, which perhaps, if you inhabit the world of social media, is not necessarily there. Um, and the, oh, the proof is in the pudding, isn't it, really? It's only a turning point or whatever you would call it if we we get results on Saturday and get four points from two tricky games next uh, next week um, but we're looking a far better place to do that, that than what we did 10 days ago notwithstanding the fact that we've got a couple of players a couple, couple of times and we've not even mentioned Al Ghazi and all of this um, so yeah I um, yeah I feel Bit more confidence. I feel more confidence about Frank now. He's managing what I did before the appointments, the way he's handled it, and you know you learn things about people, don't you, when they're appointed. So, yeah, a lot more optimism. But we've still got a lot of hard work to do between now and the end of the season. As you say, we got we got five or six players off the books in the summer. Um, so there's a load of people going even before we try and get other people who are still with us. If you know what I mean, they're still contacted mm-hmm. to us. So. That could be incest and one. So yeah. Um at least we've got a little bit of credibility back and um a little bit of unity is the the, the buzzword, isn't it? At the moment it's got that back, but we've got a lot of hard work and a, a lot of good, you know, big results to pick up in the next few months. Well, I suppose it's nice to end these podcasts on a nice optimistic sort of positive note. <laughs> For a change, isn't it? Uh, we'll be back a little bit later on in the week and we'll be previewing Frank Lampard's first match as Everton manager when Everton will be taking on Brentford at Goodison Park in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Well, lads, thank you very much for joining me and thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.